we'd like to give a special thank you to PicoSupply.com for sponsoring our podcast. Welcome to the Homestead Podcast. You are joining co-hosts Carol and Jamie of TwoGalsHomesteading.com. If you found yourself here, that means you are ready to take responsibility for what you eat, your family's health, and your family's well-being while living a simpler life. You can do this and have fun, saving money along the way. Let them help you unleash the homesteader within. By doing more with less, you will gain what is needed to create confidence, impact, and change in your life and the lives around you. Let's start homesteading, let's start now. Thank you for joining us today here on the Homestead Podcast. Hello, Jamie. Hi, Carol. All right. Well, here we are again. Yes. Another week has expired on us. Expired. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> how do they go faster? Yes. So our weather's getting nicer now. So. Yes. It's in yes. the 30s or so. No. It's like, <laughs> so, okay. Well, let's get down to business here. So what's been happening in your kitchen? Not a whole lot, but some. I did another cheese ball dip roasted for Saturday night. And then homemade bread. I made homemade bread. I did some seasoning and cast irons. Cleaned, cleaned some and seasoned it. And then I ventured into making clabbered milk, which is fermented milk. And then I skimmed off the cream off the top and I used that cream to make um, like a ranch dip for veggies. And, and I love it. And then I, I vacuum seal my sour cream so that it lasts longer because they say it's like a week that it lasts in the fridge. And so I vacuum sealed it in a glass jar so that it lasts longer. Um, but it, it turned out really good. And then I used the clabbered milk in it to make cottage cheese. And you did that in the Instant Pot? Oh, that's Is right. That I did that in the Instant Pot, which was so easy. I mean, there was no stirring. So you just put it in there and I heated it. I used the yogurt setting. I have an Instant Pot Max. And the yogurt setting, you, I can customize, customize my temperature. So I set it at 120 degrees. And it did take quite a bit for it to get there. But there was no stirring it. I mean, I didn't babysit it. I just turned it on and walked away and did other things. Okay, so did you have the lid on then? Yeah, I had the lid okay. on. But a um, a book, I don't remember the book that we looked at. And then I bought the Instant Pot. Making, oh, the che Insta making cheese in the Instant Pot. There you go. It was on uh, Amazon. On Amazon. And I so I read quite a few of her recipes to get a gist of it because she did not have, she did not use clabbered milk. She used, I bet, vinegar or rennet or something to make her cottage cheese. And so I used her her technique that she used for her yogurt, and that's what I used to do this. And then and that she said to take uh, that you wanted to vent it, you didn't want it sealed. Well, the Instant Pot Max, you don't. That's all automatic when you so you don't have a vent switch. So I just took the weight off, you know, whatever part that goes on there and it forms pressure. I took that off so that it wouldn't form pressure in there. Okay, and now just a second. Let's go back for just a second. You said you. Followed her instructions to make yogurt. Yes, her technique of how the temperatures how and stuff for making yogurt, not for making cottage cheese. Yeah, no, not that was for yogurt. Okay, yeah, just because her cottage fly. cheese, she um, I think she, she didn't use the sauteed. She maybe she used the slow cooker setting. She uses a pot in a pot. Yes, to make her high temperature ones. And so I ordered the the three quart insert to be able to put it into my six quart. So it kind of makes like a, a pot in a pot. A pot. So it's kind of like, like a, a double, double boiler. boiler. But then there, those recipes, you're, you're using pressure. So we'll see how that goes okay. when I do that. But so I did that. I made, and the cottage cheese turned out good. I So I followed it. Um, there is a website that I followed. Kelsey gave me the, the link for that. And mm -hmm. so I made that cottage cheese and it turned out really good. So it's like small. I almost, I was going to bring some for you and I forgot. I know you don't like cottage cheese, <laughs> but I thought you'd want to taste it. Because it's not, it, it tastes different than store-bought. But it's, um, and actually now that it's sat for a few days, it's getting it's almost like drier. And I don't know why, because it's vacuum sealed. Because you drain it and then I reintroduce some cream and some milk to make it more milky, creamier like store-bought. And I don't know if it's, it's absorbing that. And it needs more liquid. But oh. then I put in the cranberries sauce with it. So it's like... You probably don't need to. Then. Yeah. That, it's still good. Can, yeah. It's still good. Okay. Because uh, I put this on our Facebook and somebody asked me, how does it taste? And I'm like, it tastes good. And I did put salt in it when I was mixing the cream and the milk in it. I put salt in it. But it, it was... It's different. It doesn't... Because I'm assuming it's because it's raw milk and it doesn't have any um, gels or anything additives. And so that's what I'm thinking is different. And so I took out another gallon of milk and set it on the counter to make more cottage cheese. I think this is my go-to snack now. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah. it's like. So how easy is that now? I mean, you're just literally just 
taking your milk and it just sits there. Yeah. I mean, I set it on, I have a stone eight by eight pan inverted upside down on top of a seed mat that I use for my kombucha. And um, so I just have it sit there and it'll sit there. So this is a week old milk that I took out. It will probably take until Sunday to clabber again. I'll watch it because it's warmer now because my kitchen is cold. When it's cold, my kitchen's cold Mm because it's on the north side of the house. And so I'll just watch it. And it, it took me an hour and a half to bring it up to 120 degrees. But it was, but it was that once it was there, all I did was stirred it and then I strained it. It was so simple. Yeah. Isn't that nice? The, you know, okay, we're going to, we'll be talking about the benefits of raw milk later on in the episode. But how easy is that? You didn't have to add a culture. Yeah. You didn't have to do anything. And, you know, raw milk can sit on the counter. It can yeah. sit on the counter and it, doesn't sour it i shouldn't say it doesn't sour it doesn't go rancid or putrid like store-bought uh, milk yeah. does milk that's been pasteurized because it's been altered but raw milk simply changes yep. and that's a question i get a lot from people how long will my milk last and what do i do if i can't drink it anymore there's so many things you can do with it you gotta rethink relearn you, yeah you we really weren't taught do. this stuff I, I mean i make our cream cheese and people who sample it are just like you know it tastes so much better than store-bought it it doesn't taste the same but it tastes better it just tastes cleaner you know and if you really really rethink that process you know you take out all the gums and the thickener you know all that stuff and you get such a much cleaner product and it's so much better for you you know we're so used to yeah because i am not a huge milk drinker per se put some cheese in front of me and um yeah (laughs) i get my milk in that way so that oh and then the only other thing i did is that um the cranberry juice that I made back in January, I opened a jar Saturday and strained off the can- cranberries from it. Then I mixed it with my kombucha because when I drink my kombucha, I always dress it with you know, like a, you know, two ounces of some type of juice. And of course, I've always been using store-bought juice, but I want to like, how cool is it to be able to use my own juice that I made? Even though I bought the cranberries at Christmas time, you know, and it tasted really good. I enjoyed it. You know, once again, you have a clean cranberry juice. You have yeah. something that is pure. It's not been yep. pasteurized. It doesn't have citrus yeah. acid. Yeah, well, I suppose it's probably been pasteurized to a point because you put it in a hot water bath. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's I poured too, hot water yeah, over it. Yeah. But it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have anything added to it. There's no, no natural flavors in it. There is no citric acid in it added, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's vitamin C, but still it's not added. It's all clean. But if you use cane sugar. I did use I mean, cane it's, sugar. It's still it's still pure food that you use to yeah. make this. And I knew how I controlled how much sugar was in it. That's a good point. Now, I know your husband doesn't like a lot of sugar type he stuff. He never tasted it. I was just going to ask if he tasted it. So. No, I drank okay. it all before you got a chance. <laughs> It's like, I'll have to open another jar. Because then my attention was to save the cranberries that I strained off and use them to second ferment my kombucha. Well, no, they went on top of my yogurt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's okay, too. Yeah. You've got more jars. They got used. They didn't get wasted. Yeah. Another part of homesteading, you know, trying to reduce as much waste as possible. And that's awesome that you can use that byproduct on something else and it still tastes great. One of the recipes I'd seen on uh, on TikTok making the cranberry juice was where you cooked it first and then filled your jars. Well, that took another step and I was just lazy and did it the easy run. If there's an easy way to do it, I'll try to find it. Oh, and your time is limited. Yep. There's nothing yep. wrong with that. So that's about all that was happening in my kitchen this week. Oh, my kitchen has been cheese, of <laughs> cheese course. Factory. Yeah, cheese factory. Cheese. Besides cheese, we, I've been making some cheddar and I made some Colby. I, made, I took four gallons of milk and made a wheel of cheddar and it's sitting right over there on top of the harvest oh. right it's air drying right now but it made over five that that wheel up there weighs over five pounds i know and when i saw that I, oh my gosh <laughs> i'm just like i probably won't do that again because i actually had to have rich help me move was, the pots around that it was so heavy um that i didn't trust myself to carry my pot to anywhere with the fluid even though milk it's in only it. what seven feet from your stove yeah to your i was just sink. like oh man i was like nope nope he has to help me move this stuff around and everything so probably wouldn't do it again but it's kind of cool seeing this big big wheel yeah. of cheese so you know, to speak you sent me a picture and i'm like going okay that looks huge in the picture <laughs> how big is it really in life it barely fit in my mold I'm like you had a cheese mold that big <laughs> My yes, cheese. I do. It's almost exactly that same size because I actually pressed it a little bit and then added the rest of the curds in there because oh, I, it was you just couldn't too, get in. Yeah, I couldn't get it all in there. So I don't know if I would, I probably wouldn't do it again. That was, that was a big thing. And I, you know, we usually vacuum seal 
You don't have a bag. It's in a bag, and I'm not sure we have a bag that it'll fit into. Oh, so you might have. You might have, have to, to cut, cut it in half. I might have to cut it in half. I'm not sure. Oh, that's what so we, we did. We tried my cheese, cheese yes. on Saturday night when you guys were over here. I had a wheel of cheddar that I had made, it I was. believe, on the 19th of January. So it was just a little over two weeks aging. Okay. So we cut into that, and we were like, it had a real mild cheddar yep. flavor to it. Um, it looked really good, and so we ate that little wedge that I had cut, and then we cut the rest of the wheel, which is about a two-pound wheel, and I cut it into what was re- remaining into three pieces, and then I marked each one, and we we're going to test one at four weeks aging, six, six weeks, weeks aging, and eight weeks w- aging. So this week is week number three, three yep. so it'll be next week that we try, try the, the next wedge mess. and see how the flavoring goes. And I know I saw some people saying, oh, you need to – age it you know if you can age it like a year and a half i'm like going where would we uh, yeah, put I know. it i was gonna see um i'm not sure where i'm gonna put this big wheel that i just did <laughs> to, to age it because right now i'm just using my refrigerator because i really don't have a cheese cave, cave yeah type thing and so we're just using the refrigerator right now and i'm sure a cheese cave would make it different just yeah. because a cheese cave usually isn't as cold as a refrigerator a cheese cave is usually around 45 I, to 55 yeah. somewhere in there and we'll eventually get to that point but i'm gonna just make do with what i have and yeah. this is this is what's going to work for me now. And eventually we'll probably get some kind of a cheese cave going. Yeah. But right now I'm not concerned can, about it. Can you like buy like a refrigerator made for cheese? I know you've said wine coolers. Yeah, wine coolers. You probably could. I know some people say they have like the little apartment refrigerators, you know, yeah. those small ones. That's and then they just fridge. adjust it so that it's, you know, it's warmer. And then there's supposed to be a certain amount of humidity in the in in them too, depending on your type of cheese you're making. Oh, okay. And so right now I'm just kind of concentrating on Colby and cheddar, cheddar just to try to get it down to something that we like, you know, and um, instead of trying to do 16 different cheeses and then I... I Can't know. remember what you're... Right. How you did that one. That right. would be me. I'm like, right, uh, Bob would ask me, it's like, well, how'd you do that one? And I'm like, I have no idea. So I just, so I just kind of thought I would just focus on those two. And Colby's basically a, a mild form of, of cheddar anyway. It, they're very similar. So what's the difference in making them? Is there um, the Colby, amount? Colby, you, you wash the curd a little bit. Cheddar, you just press it. And cheddar, you press it. You actually go through a cheddaring process where you oh, it, is sits that in where? A, it sits in the strainer and the ways underneath it and you flip it a few times. And with Colby, you actually dump off like two thirds of the way. And then I don't remember, you dump off a bunch of the way and then you add water in and you bring that way, that watered down way up to like, is it 60 degrees? get 60 yet. It's been a, bit, a little bit since I made the Colby wheel. So I don't remember exactly. But yeah, so you add cold water until your pot comes to that temperature and I think it was 60 and then you hold it at that temperature for a certain amount of time and then you strain it press it add your uh you add your salt oh okay and um then go ahead and press it the harvest right has been our freeze dryer has been running in my kitchen we've done a batch of skittles and we did a batch of saltwater taffy and we also did liver and pancreas so the the Skittles, we call them splittles because we can't say they're Skittles. If you're going to sell them, we can, yep, we call them, we call them splittles because they, they split, split. literally split. Yeah, I think and it's funny kinda, how it does yeah, it. Yeah, it looks, it, they're kind of cool looking, really. Yeah, they are. Um, and we had done that for a friend of ours who had asked us to do. He's a, got a major addiction. Yeah, he, he, he likes his candy and that's okay. <laughs> then we did the saltwater taffy and that was for me. The local farm store here running sells cotton oh, so candy the- flavored. And I did, I bought that actually before Christmas. It takes me this long to, because I don't make them very often. This is like the second time I've yeah. done it. Um, they're really good. We actually vacuum sealed two quart jars of them. So I oh. keep my hands out of them. <laughs> I don't eat too many of them. Ration but yourself. Yes, I got to ration myself because um, they're really good because they don't stick to my teeth when yeah. they're freeze dried. And I that's what I don't like about saltwater taffy is that it's so sticky. Yeah. And so it's kind of a nice little treat, but I really only like the the cotton candy flavored. I have some, st- we still have some from the state fair that we had done, you know, oh. that when Madison had bought the stuff at the state fair. And I still have a baggie of that. And I have that, it's, in a, it's just in a Ziploc bag. It's just fine. It didn't get soggy No, nope, it didn't get soggy. Hasn't gotten sticky, nothing. It's it, just like when we took it out of the it'd freeze be, dryer months ago. It'd be interesting to see it come summertime when it's humid. It's dry now, you know. Yeah. So I I know, but that's, and then, oh, we have to talk about the liver and the, and the uh, pancreas. So yes. we did, you know this, that, 
Thad has closed his butcher shop here yes. in um, in our area and has moved it is is in the process of moving it to a new location. So I ended up with a lot of our stuff that was being stored in his locker back home here, and there was just an enormous amount of liver in there. And so I thought, well, we can freeze dry some of that right away because I know the dogs love that. Took I don't know how many pounds of liver it was and two pancreases, and I left the pancreases whole. Yes. Now I would not do that. Again, I know I've got more pancreas out there. So what was the thickness of it? It wasn't really that thick. It may maybe a half, maybe a half inch. But because it's so moist and so long, I don't think enough air circulates around it, you know, because my liver usually comes to me sliced. So I, I just divvy out. that out. Um, but I think it's just too long. And so I ran the I think I ran an extra six hours on the drying cycle and it just wasn't drying. Like it should, the liver had been done already because liver takes about 17, 18 hours. The pancreas just was not finishing for me. So I was like, well, I'm only feeding it to the dogs. So I just simply decided I'm done. And uh, I just, I took a scissors and I simply cut it because it would not break because it was, was still not moist enough. on the yep. inside. It really was. So I just cut it up, put it in a baggie and threw it in the refrigerator. And I'm like, the dogs will just eat that first. And they love it. Yeah. They think it's great now. And we had mentioned something about pancreas on our Facebook page. And somebody commented under there that they actually use, I think it was beef pancreas in powder form to put it on their dog's food because it has a condition that it needs pancreas to help digest something. I can't remember exactly what it was. And I read it a little while ago, so I just can't quite remember it. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. I didn't even know you could buy powdered pancreas, to be honest. But, you know, you can almost get anything in a tablet form. Yes, a yes, you truly can. So I thought that was very interesting. But my much, much approved by my dogs. They are more than happy to uh, help you with yeah, that help situation. Me with that. And Willow, she likes to guard the uh, freeze dryer, the Harvest Right freeze dryer when... Uh, I have liver in there. She she knows and she she loves liver. She really loves liver. So well, that's probably about all that's been going on in my kitchen. Um, so I'll give you the herb of the week. Herb of the week. We remembered Lisa Carroll. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this week we're going to talk about uh, peppermint because most people can buy a peppermint plant somewhere. They can. It's easy to grow. And if you are going to grow it outside, um, if you are not diligent enough to keep it tamed and cut back and dug up um it will overtake an area i mm -hmm. mean and i and i do i have it in ground i have it growing out the back door of our garage in a space where we i think mice come enter our house and so i grow it there just because mice don't like peppermint and so i grow it there as a deterrent for mice to come into our garage and so but it's easy and every spring i come in with a shovel <laughs> And I cut it in half and dig up what grew out of its boundaries last year. Because it goes out, it grows out under the, the edging. I have just brick edging. It grows out there and it grows along the edge of the garage. I know. It, it's almost invasive. It is. Yeah. If, if I wasn't at it, it would be invasive. And I don't know if I could ever get rid of it. So when you do that, then do you take that those plants and you dry them, dehydrate them, or do you, do you um, use I've never those done herbs? that with roots. I've done that with the leaves. Okay. Because I'm usually doing this before it's put on any oh, new okay. growth okay. for the spring. Because you because there's nothing else around it, so you can really see where it's growing. I'm usually going in and I'm uh, cutting off what's left from last year, the leaves and everything, the growth, and then I'm cutting that off, and then I can see where the roots are, and I can pull them up and dig them up, and so I tame it. But yeah, it doubles. It always doubles at least. So you could give those away oh, yeah. if somebody wanted Yeah, meat. I have. But um, I hate to say it, sometimes it's a lot of work to give things away. <laughs> That's like somebody asked me, are you doing a garage sale this year? I'm like, nope, it's too much work. Yeah, it is. Okay, anyway. Anyway, so back to pep uh, peppermint. So peppermint is it's an, it's uh, also called balm mint, curled mint, and lamb mint. The plant is easily recognized by its classic scent and flavor, peppermint likes moist, rich soil, and spreads quickly, as we've said. It is indigenous to Europe, but can be found worldwide. It is in the, oh, it's in the mint family. But anyway, peppermint, it's easy to identify. Yes, it is. I mean, and basically, there's different varieties. And so I know there's a chocolate mint. I've grown that. So we won't even cover that. It produces flowers, but it doesn't, flowers does not produce seeds. I thought that was interesting. Oh. It spreads just by the roots, like we said. So it's a perennial, 
in most places. Yeah, well, it's pretty cold up here. so. I but like I'm wondering, days. like, even in Canada and Alaska. Um, but, of course, peppermint is edible and is often the major use for it is teas. And there's medicinal uses for it, um, but it's for inflamed stomach and intestines and stuff. Gastroenteritis. <laughs> there we go. Indigestion, um, stomach, intestinal, and liver problems. Peppermint leaves and, te- leaves and teas are well known as the treatment for indigestion, excess gas, nausea, and other stomach issues. Um, because I will use peppermint oil. If I have an upset stomach, to use peppermint oil for that is really good. Just a drop of it in a glass of water is really good. Make it a glass. Glass, glass, not a plastic glass. <laughs> it's not good to drink oils in there. But uh, peppermint oil stimulates the flow of bile in the body and aids in digestion. It's useful for the treating problems of the stomach and intestines and livers. Peppermint oil also contains antibacterial and antiviral components that treat the cause of gastro, whatever your word you said earlier, um, while also, also calming the symptoms. Um, you can use it for menstrual cramps. It can be an appetite suppressant, and it can be a stimulant too. After it suppresses your appetite, it will come back and it will come back and you'll be hungry afterwards. So you can use that with kids that have issues of not being hungry. That's an idea. Um, it's for headaches and migraines. You can use it for headaches and migraines. Um, I know I will use peppermint oil on the back of my neck um, for headaches or hot flashes because it's got a cooling effect if you use a peppermint oil. So that was one of my first uh, essential oils I ever used was peppermint oil for hot flashes. Um, Helps with diarrhea, spastic colon, irritated bowel syndrome, and Crohn's disease. Um, It's good for itchy skin. So if you like a bug bite or dry skin, to dilute it with a curry oil and put it on there. That's good for that. It's arthritis and gout and sciatica. It will help um, numb pain. It won't cure the cause of the pain, but it will help numb the skin around the pain. And you can use it as a muscle rub, you know, like a massage or massage oil. That's what I want to say is you can use it as, as a massage oil mixed with a curry oil, or you could probably make a tea with it because they talked about making an infusion here with peppermint oil um, to take the leaves um, three-fourths cups of the dried peppermint leaves and a cup of organic olive oil. And you combine it in a glass jar and then you leave it sit for four to six weeks and you shake it, shake it daily or put it somewhere where you'll see it. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. And, sh- and not, a, you know, if you, you know, if you don't do it every day, you won't, it won't wreck it. But, you know, when you see it, think of it, shake it so that the oil gets in between the leaves and everything. And then you can strain it um, and then use it as a topical relief for headaches, muscle cramps, or a massage oil for the muscle pain. And then, of course, you can make peppermint tea with just a teaspoon of mint leaves and a cup of boiling water. So I figured this was an herb that <laughs> most people can get their hands on and yes. grow it in a pot if you don't want to chase it in the ground. Of course, my information is coming from the last book of Herbal Remedies by Nicole Appeline. She's a PhD. And then Claude Davis is her co-author. So really good. One of the many books that I reference when I'm looking for stuff. Okay. I will tell you that um, peppermint is um, highly regarded in the world of dairy, especially in organic dairy. Um, It is peppermint is found in just about every salve I use or oil I use on my cows, primarily to treat edema in the udder after they calf. And we also use it as a healing agent for cuts you know, those salves, there's other stuff in those, but peppermint is, I mean, dynamint is a very common salve and that's very popular in the dairy world to use to help your cows with edema in their udders, especially right after calving. It can be very painful for them to have all that edema that they do. It's just a natural body's response to pregnancy, but yeah, peppermint is is used a lot. I, I use a lot of peppermint oil just in my daily life as a mouth freshener um it's it's a it's what they call a hot oil i'm one of those weird ones i can drop it under my tongue and then fill my mouth with water and swish it around kind of like a gargle and so it's like a breath mint but it doesn't have sugar in it because i don't use a lot of sugar and actually it's um if you do it really quick like that it doesn't break a fast so if you're fasting (laughs) you can use that as a breath freshener for those of us out there that fast okay well thanks for the great information on on peppermint So we will now take a break for our sponsor. Family-owned PicoSupply.com brings small-town customer service to their online farm store. 
PeteCoSupply.com specializes in automatic waterers from top brands such as Miraco, Jug, Franklin, Trojan, and Ritchie, as well as other products for your operation. Find your farm supplies and automatic waterers at PeteCoSupply.com. That's P-E-T-E-C-O-Supply.com. Supply. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about raw milk and the benefits of raw milk. We kind of touched a little bit earlier about how you've been clabbering milk. And um, so I thought maybe we should just talk a little bit about what raw milk actually is and what those benefits are and why we, you choose, and I, both, our, to drink yep, it. Our, both of our families choose to, to drink raw milk. Um, I happen to be a raw milk producer and you are a raw milk consumer. And so I thought we would just talk a little bit about why raw milk is important to us and what those benefits are. First of all, just so you know what raw milk is, raw milk is is simply um, milk that is unpasteurized and unhomogenized. And that can mean cow milk, sheep milk, goat milk, camel milk. Oh yeah, there's a lot of camel milk out there. You'd be surprised. In the, in the United States? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, I think there's a camel dairy up in northern Minnesota, actually. Okay. Um, it's very, very expensive. Oh. But how cool that I milk camels for a living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I milk cows for a living. That's that's basically what it is. Now, like goat milk is naturally homogenized, and so that's why you don't get a big cream line on oh, okay. um, goat milk. It's it's hard to get all the cream out of goat milk without having a cream separator. You know, you you skim yours off the top of yes. the raw milk, and that'd be very hard on um, on the goats on milk. goat milk because it's just naturally homogenized. So that's that's just the oh. way that's just the way goat milk is. In researching the benefits of raw milk, now there's two reasons why we drink raw milk in our house. Our, our main reasons: Madison, we got started with raw milk because Madison was diagnosed with asthma, and back in. 2007 and I researched it then and found that raw milk was supposed to help reduce the symptoms of asthma and that is why we started our raw milk journey was because of her Um, and I did buy we lived in town at that time so I did buy my milk from a local farmer an organic farmer I don't know how you started I started because a local farmer he was a customer customer of ours at the shop and I had grown up, growing up, we had get milk from a farmer, from the neighbors. And I and mine was more of an economic thing because I had four kids. Mm-hmm. We went through milk. And I was like, I asked him, I go, so can you sell milk in the state of Minnesota? Because I did not know. And I knew the stories of some states you can't get it. And he goes, yes, I can sell milk as long as you bring your containers. And so that's what I did. So it was like 2002 that I started. And milk was $2 a gallon from him way back then. <laughs> And so that was a huge economic saving for us with four, because I we would go through three to four gallons of milk a week with all of us. Okay. My husband's not a milk drinker, but my kids, my kids still are. Mm-hmm. They still come home and they raid mom's milk because they have to buy store-bought milk. And so that's what we did it. And then I'd find it, because I'd ask, one of my questions was, what about vitamin D? You know, because that's a big thing that the milk industry is like, you look at any Jar, jug that you buy in the store has has vitamin D added back in, and he informed me that the reason they added back in is because it's destroyed when they pasteurize it. Yep. And I'm like, he goes, so it's naturally there, and I'm like, oh, okay. So that was my one of my biggest concerns, and it was cheaper, and so that's how I started. But okay. it's through the process that I've learned about all the good benefits, and I'm like, I'm so glad over the years that I, because then I don't think he was even organic at the time. He became organic after that. And so I'm glad that I stumbled into it. Like I do a lot of things in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So you were doing something good and you didn't even realize that you were just looking financially at it. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cheap back then. That was pretty cheap back then. I know. I went to several different websites. I've been on um, realmilk.com. I I looked at Dr. Axe and I was there and I was at a couple other where it was just, you know, we drink raw milk and this is why, you know, type thing. And I just pulled out a few of the things that... I thought were interesting and maybe uh, looking at it from a health perspective as to why raw milk would be a good choice. First of all, of course, the asthma thing that comes up 
yes. on all of the allergies. all of the places I yep. looked. They talk about allergies and asthma. Doctor Axe, um, he talked about allergies, and he had a study that was done. Um, it was published by the Journal of Allergies and Clinical Immunology that involved. 8,000 children. Oh, so they had a big... Yeah, it was a, it was a fairly big study that they concluded from those 8,000 children that the children drinking raw milk experienced natural immunity effects when it comes to allergens. There's enough natural stuff in raw milk to reduce allergy symptoms in children. But that was interesting. He went on to talk about, now, how can this be? Because, of course, you always hear about people with their dairy allergies. Yes. You know, they're allergic to dairy. And he talked about how the process of pasteurization actually changes the milk enough to cause you to be allergic to it, so to speak. You know, you get your lactose intolerance and stuff because of the pasteurization process and how it changes the milk enough to make you sick when you drink it yeah. or consume it. He says, you know, it destroys, you talked about vitamin D, it destroys the vitamin D in there and some of those important nutrients that our bodies need to digest milk and they are yeah. gone. That's why people experience problems with it. And I mean, I have several people that come and buy milk from me and they can't drink store-bought milk. You know, they can't drink it because yeah. it makes them ill, but they can drink our milk. Now, I've also had people who can't drink our raw milk. They can't drink store-bought milk, and they've tried our raw cow milk and can't drink that, but they can drink our raw goat milk. So, you know, I don't know where the fine line is, um, what else is going on as far as what's been destroyed in their gut, how yeah. healthy their gut is, you know, because that's another thing that Dr. Yeah. Axe talked about was gut health and how important that is. I do believe I read that 90% of your health has to comes from your gut. Yep. So if you have a healthy gut, you'll be healthier as an overall yep. person. Raw milk is the perfect food. It has everything you need in it to survive. It's nutrient dense. It has all the minerals. It has amino acids in it. It has all eight amino acids that okay. we need to survive. It has 14 enzymes that our body needs that through pasteurization, 13 out of 14 of those are nice. killed off. So when you start looking at pasteurized milk, you begin to wonder if it's really even a food that we benefit from. I don't know. It just, it was very interesting. My search took me on this journey and I could probably talk for three hours about what I found. Oh, I know. And actually, um, I'm not a science person, but the first website that I pulled up to look at um, was rawmilkinstitute.org and they had research papers. <laughs> I can't read them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, going, oh my gosh, that is way over my head. So yep. for the science person, that is the place. If you want research papers that tells you why you should drink milk, it's the rawmilkinstitute.org. They have mm -hmm. lots of research information. There are studies that you can go in and read. If you can understand it. Well, I, I need somebody to interpret it for me. Yeah, I, I, I found it really interesting. I saw, um, let me just look through my notes here quick, about those enzymes. And they said those, those 14 enzymes are very important to your overall health. And if you have those in your diet, you stay much, much healthier. And I thought that was very interesting. Now, we've been through our whole COVID business here. Both Rich and Madison have had COVID at least once since this whole COVID thing started. And Chastity and I have not. Now, perhaps I've had it and been asymptomatic. I don't know. But Chastity and I consumed the most raw milk in our house. And Madison, Madison has asthma. Um, and she does drink raw milk, but not to the extent that Chesty and I do. Between bone broth and raw milk, those are her basis for her food. And so she takes in a lot. And so do I. I have, I have at least a glass of milk, if not three, every day. Rich doesn't drink a whole lot of milk either. He doesn't either. And I was like, well, that's interesting that yeah. we had COVID come through here. And Rich even thinks maybe he's had it a second time. Now, we've never tested, so we don't really know. Yeah. But when you lose your sense of taste and smell, yep. kind of a pretty good indicator pretty close, yeah. yeah, type thing. So perhaps Chesty and I have just a little bit better the, you know, the, immunity. The, yeah, the, the enzymes and yep, everything. Yeah, those enzymes that are there. Not that Rich, Rich and Madison drink 
pasteurized milk. They just don't consume a lot of milk. Yeah. Just like you said, yeah. you're not really a milk drinker. No. So, you know, like my cottage cheese isn't pasteurized, but but it's been heated. So yeah, I'm sure some of those enzymes may have been destroyed. Yeah, I'm not sure, you know, where the level is for that, yeah. but I know that 145. Yeah, that's the minimum for pasteurized Legalized milk. Legalized yep. pasteurized then. Okay. You know, we well, all live here together and everything. You yeah, know, share and germs yep, and yep, everything. Yep. And um, that is something that, and I, I don't get sick real often. Um, I just don't. Up until my granddaughter went to daycare, <laughs> I didn't either. Um, raw milk is also rich in omega-3s and 6s, which are, are both fatty acids, and they're responsible for regulating blood pressure, supporting your immune system. They prevent heart disease and many, many other things. So those are really important things. Those are the for major your, ones. Yeah, for your, for your diet. You, when you think about, you know, of the, the low fat thing of the 80s and the 90s, kids needed whole milk. So that's, I had whole milk when the kids were little. But yeah, as they got older, I, until I started buying raw milk, I'm sure I was drinking 2% milk. Yeah, I was going to say, I drank skim. I had 2% growing up. And we got ours from Schwann's when they used oh. to actually do oh. home delivery of milk. That's where our milk came from. And then I switched over to skim because, you know, milk is such a fatty food. Yeah. <laughs> and now I look at it and it's like, it's like blue water. It's, um, I, I wouldn't even touch it. <laughs> and there's one of the other reasons I drink raw milk. It just tastes better. It just plain tastes better. When my granddaughter was littler, I don't know why. Oh, I know it was even your skim milk. I had gotten skim milk because I was trying to perfect my mozzarella. Still haven't. But... <laughs> Even she could tell the difference between your skim milk and your whole milk. And she preferred the whole milk it just over better. the skim milk. Well, that's, you know, in our house, I mean, we have lots of skim milk because we skim for cream, cream here all the time. Every day we skim, we skim milk for cream and the skim milk goes to the pigs unless I'm going to mess around with some kind of a cheese because nobody will drink it. Even, even raw that. skim isn't, isn't that great, yeah. you know? It's the um, fat that makes it taste yep, good. that's what makes it taste so good. Another thing about raw milk is that it it doesn't go bad. So that and then that's a question I have. That's a very common question when somebody's coming to me asking about raw milk and how to handle it and what to do with it. And I hear this the first is, how long does it stay good? And then what do I do with it? Once I can't drink it anymore. First of all, it doesn't ever go bad. It does not go rancid or putrid like store-bought milk yep. does. Pasteurized milk, will it will be to the point where you cannot consume it because it is not going oh, yeah. to... It, yeah, you can't, you can't do it. Um, raw milk only simply clabbers. It simply sours, which basically that's what it is. Clabbered milk is soured milk. But it doesn't taste like pasteurized sour milk. It's different. It doesn't smell sour. Like you're doing right now. We talked about you actually make a natural Cut. sour cream. Yep. Because you clabber the milk, yep. the whole milk. The whole milk. The whole milk. You clabber that and you remove the cream. And that's what they did in the olden days. And it's really easy. Yep. You know, if you're trying to separate your cream, I use a uh, gravy ladle yeah, out of a half gallon jar, wide mouth jar. You know, you get to a point, you don't get all the cream because you, you start getting milk. And so you quit. But when it's clabbered, it, you can almost just scrape it off to the line. And it's ah. it was really easy just to scrape off just sour cream, so it was just like really easy. And that's all you did, right? You did not, you didn't do anything to nope. it. You didn't add anything to nope. make it sourer, no or anything cultures like that. or anything. Nope. It was just look at what a pure product that is. And now, and now that I have clabbered sour cream, I can take that and take a spoonful of that and put it in the jar that I just put on the counter before I came out here, and stir that in, shake it in, and it will help that clabber. Quicker. So you add the soured cream. Yep, but I already clabbered cream. Yep. I will and add it into my whole milk. The whole milk that you and have. And it will make it clabber quicker. Okay, so do you, and you just do that as the, when you take the, you don't leave the milk, sit there and let it warm nope. up or anything. You just take it, nope. plunk it in there. I will because I forgot to do it, but I'll go. But you can do it, just yeah. cold, cold. Yep. I mean, how nice you don't have to buy any cultures. You yep. don't have to do anything. You just, time. That's yeah. all you need is time. When really it's not a whole lot of, not a lot of hands-on time. Right. Yeah. It's a lot of sitting and watching. And like yeah. you said now, you know, milk sitting on the counter clabbers at, you know, depending on the time I, of year yep. and how warm you're, wherever you're storing it. Yep. So you have to watch. It's not like, well, you just leave it sit there for, for three, three days, days and no. it'll be ready. You do have to monitor no, it. No, it's like your kombucha, your kefir and, uh, you know, fermented vegetables. It can say three to six days. If you're using a culture, if you're not using a culture, sauerkraut can take up to six weeks. So the culture just speeds it up. 
Let's talk a little bit about the nutrients that are found in oh, okay. in uh, raw milk. According to Dr. Axe, raw milk is rich in nutrients. And now this is just straight from the cow, been chilled. And one serving of raw milk contains 400 milligrams of calcium, 50 milligrams of magnesium, and 500 milligrams of potassium. And those are all important to your diet because those minerals are important for cellular function, hydration, building bone density, blood circulation, detoxification, muscle health, and metabolism. And those minerals are found to be deficient in just about every person out there, adult and child. And this is a thing that comes up quite often in um, the wellness group that I belong to on Facebook. And they talk about magnesium all the time. Yep. People are complaining about leg pains, all this kind of yep. stuff, and you're low Charlie on magnesium. You, you, and we are so Every, depleted in that. I know sugar is a factor in that, depending on how much sugar you have yep, in your he diet. He mentioned that. Yep. that. If you're eating sugar that it uses, my husband would know that if you consume this much sugar, it's going to pull out this many grams of magnesium out of your body. And so if you're having Charlie horses and stuff like that, it could be because you may be consuming too much sugar. Too much sugar and not enough magnesium. Yep. Or my, and actually, and there's seven types of magnesium and it's hard to get all of them. And I'm sure you're probably getting a huge hunk of them from your milk. Because it's just, it's a natural food. Okay, That's I have a, to make it a point to consume more than I do now. I kept reading, um, you know, it helps with blood pressure and it helps with obesity. And then you enter fermented dairy when you get into your yogurts and your kefirs For, and your cheese. They consider cheese a fermented, fermented dairy. Yep. Um, you know, your sour cream, your um, cottage cheese, all of that stuff. And that all helps with so many things like, colon cancer, inflammatory bowel disease, UTIs. I was like, oh, oh that's interesting. Yeah. You know, urinary tract infections, um, vaginal yeast infections. And that's another thing that comes up in that wellness group. They talk a little bit about, you know, I'm having problems with yeast infection. Oh, drink more raw milk. <laughs> Put some kefir on it. I don't know. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, you do. You use kefir as yep. a, a... Wound care. Yeah, and you use it for diaper rashes. You know, those are all yeasty type stuff, yep. you know, and, and it's just amazing. It's almost like a... I don't know if I want to call it a miracle. miracle. yeah. But it is. It's a really... Raw milk is really versatile, and it it just is... I don't know. I, I I drink so much of it. You know, um, I'm not I'm not so much into the fermented dairy. I can do kefir. But I really don't like yogurt. I don't like sour cream. You know, so I I do more of the just straight raw dairy. I love cheese, but I don't like tart stuff that I have a little bit of trouble with. I did mention earlier about Madison and how we started our journey with asthma. And raw milk was where we, we went with. And she's now 24. And we started it when she was, I think she was about five or six. And she has never, ever had to have anything more than an emergency inhaler for her asthma. And her asthma is really affected by the environment that she's in. So when she lived in Hawaii for five months, no problems whatsoever. But the cold weather up here in Minnesota really does her in. Yep, it, it, she uses her inhaler. And when she had COVID, she used it quite often then too because that's a whole lung thing. But it really did help her. I mean, most people I know who have asthma are on a medication regularly. She's lucky if she uses up one inhaler in a year. Okay. I mean, lots of times she goes to the doctor just so that she can refill Green. it because, yeah. and, and lots of times that it takes two years or whatever because she don't use it. She just much. doesn't and use she, it. And she's one, I assume, because she works out. And yes, so she does. And so she has no issues with working out. No. Nope. So it really worked for her. You know, I'm I'm big advocate of that. Yeah. If you have if you have asthma, you probably should add raw milk into your diet if you can if you can find, find it. it. Yep. Now here's something that also comes up in my wellness group a lot of times is how do I treat pink eye? Did you oh. know did you know raw milk works for pink eye? No. Yep, that's the only thing we use out here. And I use it on our cattle. I use it on the goats. I use it on the humans. Yep, it has to be fresh, probably room temperature. Um, oh, that but, would be cold. Yeah, but that is that is a natural. So, you can use breast milk. You can use cow milk, goat milk, sheep milk, whatever. So but dip use your raw. finger in it and rub yeah, it in your I eye. Just, I just, I, uh, I actually use a syringe. Oh, okay. And I just squirt it. And I, I, oh, like an eye wash. Yeah, like an eye wash, and I just squirt it, squirt it in the eye, and it one treatment. Usually, it doesn't take much more than that. 
And yeah, so if we... So no antibiotics? Yeah, we have pink eye out here because, I mean, in our cattle and stuff because flies carry it. And we have fly load out here. Um, Yeah, in the summertime. Yep, and so as soon as we see pink eye forming on anybody, they get a shot of raw milk in the eye, and I usually do not have to do anything more than that than just the one time. I had never heard that. That's very interesting. Yes, that's in... um, People with babies and stuff. Hey, if you if you got breast milk and you have somebody with pink eye in your house, squirt yeah. it, squirt a little bit of breast I milk mean, in there. But I mean, I love it. I mean, if Chastity gets it and Chastity's, yeah, she does not like treatments done on her. She doesn't like creams on her. She doesn't like lotions. She does not like to be touched or, you know, forced anything on her. And so when she gets pink eye, and it does happen with her quite often because she does a lot of rubbing of her eyes and yeah. I'm sure her eyes are, or her hands are not clean all the time when she does this yep. or whatever and that's what I use that's the easiest treatment for me is to get raw milk into her because medication's expensive yep. and it doesn't always hit her eye and I have as much raw milk as I can possibly pour into her eye and it, it doesn't matter and yeah it usually only takes one treatment where you know you're treating pink eye with with drops, and, drops stuff. and stuff it's you know what was it? a couple times a day yeah, I was gonna say it's a couple times a day and I do believe it's a probably week a week or 10, 10 days, days something like that and it's I usually have years. to do it once and that's it oh I have to remember that because I have grandkids and they're in public school, daycare. So, yep, they're exposed. Let's talk a little bit about how bad raw milk is supposed to be for you. And, oh, yeah. goodness, and you, you're going to die if you drink it. I just got to find my study. You can probably find it on the Raw Milk Institute's well, website. I'm just going to talk about Minnesota. I'm not going to talk about the whole United States or whatever. I'm just going to take the statistics. I found a report um, from the Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance. And the article was from January of 2013. And it said in Minnesota that at that at the time of the report that 2.3% of the population consume raw milk. Of course, farm sales are legal of raw milk. And um, so in the time period from 1998 to 2010, there were four illness outbreaks that were related to raw milk consumption. There were 16 illnesses allegedly traced to raw milk. They always use the word allegedly. And so I thought that was very interesting. So their statistics told us that 0.16% of the illnesses in Minnesota during that time frame were allegedly traced to raw milk. In that same time frame, there were 10,021 foodborne illnesses um, excluding anything that was multi-state. So if it, you know, like when spinach was bad or whatever, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a nationwide thing. This was just in Minnesota. So <laughs> raw milk is like this little bit that, yeah. that allegedly gotten people sick. Nobody's died. There's no traceability to say that someone's died yeah. from consuming raw milk. So I thought that was... That's very interesting. That's very interesting. Because so many articles out there are like going, no, this will be your death if you consume. Yep, yep. Go to go to the CDC website sometime and oh, holy buckets. You, you that wouldn't have yep, been a website yep, I would have gone yep, to. Well, I did. I <laughs> I did go there and um, just to see what they were saying. Um, you know, of course, the E. coli and salmonella and all this, all this stuff. But if you trust your farmer and you know how they handle their milk and their cows you are probably going to be just fine yeah we had we had that conversation off mic yes about we did. about dairies and then so to bring in uh what is it public radio article where rich was quoted it was from november 7th of 2019 where he talked about that is that you need to inspect where you're getting your milk you need to be able to be allowed to inspect where the farmer's doing and how he's doing his practices and so that you feel safe with your farmer. Rich, for those that don't know, is Carol's husband. He's our producer and he will talk into our mic and you guys will never hear him. <laughs> but yes, um, I just can't believe how, you know, raw milk gets such a bad rap. Almost but, t- it's, uh, scare tactics. Yes, it is. I think it's great that Minnesota actually in some ways, requires you to come to the farm so that you have a chance to take a look around. And anybody who's come to my farm is more than welcome to check out my parlor. I show it to people all the time. If they want to walk amongst my cows, they certainly can. You can see what what I do, how I treat my cows. You need to trust your farmer. And even when we milked for Organic Valley, my standards never changed from selling raw milk to milking for a creamery to going back to raw milk. I've always milked the same way because when all that milk went into the tank, 
I was still consuming that milk before it left for the creamery. And I don't want any icky stuff in my in my milk. So, I, you know, I, I just we we've never changed our standards. Our standards have always been the same. We we milk according to grade A standards, even though we are not a grade A dairy now because we do not sell to a, a creamery. Cream. We do not require that licensing, but we still milk to those standards. And then you're in organic standards. Too. Yes. And then we, yeah, we have organic standards on top of that, which, you know, there's a couple of websites I was on and they were like, when you buy raw milk, you'll always get milk that's um, antibiotic free and hormone free, which is not necessarily true because you're, you're a raw milk dairy doesn't mean you don't treat with antibiotics yeah. or you use hormones because some people use hormones to um, induce heat cycles oh. so they can sink their cow and get their cow bred at a certain time or, you know, breed all three cows at the same time. They have all their calves at the same time. Didn't know that was possible. Yeah. We milked for Organic Valley. Organic Valley's standards were um, there's no added hormones to our milk. That is, it's right on the label. And so we're basically trained not to do that because we can't do that and sell milk to Organic Valley. So we've never used hormones out here. You can use hormones in, in organics because hormones are natural. So you can do that. But because Organic Valley said you cannot do that because that's what our label says. We've never done that. Yep, it's just a co-op policy that, you know, they have that on their label. And so, and a lot of big dairies, you know, that milk conventionally do that because they do sink their cows. I mean, it makes sense to a point, you know, so that you have your calves born in whatever time frame you need them yep. born in. But that's just something we don't do. So that's not necessarily a true statement. And just because somebody has a raw milk dairy and they're 100% grass-fed does not mean they're organic. Don't Don't ever assume that. Um, ask questions yeah i mean i've had lots of people like oh well you know um our beef our beef is not certified organic they're 100 grass-fed but they are not certified organic and people are like well they're organic right no technically no no they are not certified organic your yeah. land is certified yeah. organic yep um, our dairy is our dairy if you if you're taking beef from our dairy or you're taking milk from our dairy yes that milk is certified organic it's been organically fed we do organic treatments out here if we treat a cow Conventionally, we don't sell that. We either we use it for something else, or lots of times she's simply moved to the beef herd, or she's off the farm. That's that's how we treat it. So here's a question: How does somebody find a local farmer, or <laughs> if they're allowed to buy milk from a farmer in their state? Do you have resources? I found maybe one, but I'm thinking you might know more. Realmilk.com is where I usually send most people when they contact me asking, you know, for instance, it's too far for them to drive. Because in Minnesota, you do need to come to the farm. I guess technically you have to pick up your milk at the location that it is produced. So usually that means the farm. And, you know, if you're over two, three hours away, you're probably, you know, making that trip is a little hard, especially with the price of gas right now. It gets kind of expensive to to make a trip like that. Realmilk.com is a is the first place I send people. For Minnesota, of course, Facebook is a big thing. We have a, a Facebook group called um, Farm Direct of Minnesota, I think it is called. And there's a listing in there of all oh. the raw milk producers that are registered with that, yeah, okay. of course. We have Minnesota Growing. There's another place where you can find um, listings for raw milk. It's a little difficult in the state of Minnesota because you're not allowed to advertise that you sell raw milk. Word of mouth is very important. Our presence on Facebook is important to us. I get a lot of customers through yes, Facebook, I even though I I don't know if I'm technically advertising on there or not, but it's made very known that we have milk for sale. And I, I'm not sure where else. I don't know where else we are, are listed. Um, um, that's where I found you. I found mm -hmm. you on realmilk.com. Now, uh, you belong to Farmer Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, right? Yes, we do. They have a map of the United States, and they show you what your laws are in your state. So, you know, whether you can have herd shares, um, whether you have to go to the farm, whether you can buy at retail in a store, or you are not allowed to buy any raw products at all. I found that, and that was like, but it was, you know, besides realmilk.com, there was nothing that you couldn't put. All I did was put in a, where to buy real milk in, raw milk in Minnesota. Realmilk.com was the only one that came up and listed. There was a few other places, but you guys weren't on it. So I assume you needed to go in and register with all these other places. Because yes. I found a place that's, you know, south of Kirkhoven. They had a Kirkhoven address, but they didn't sell milk. They sold 
meat, beef, chicken, and stuff yep. like that. So it's like you have to really look for a farmer to buy milk from in the state of Minnesota anyway. Yeah, and I think on realmilk.com, I think they have it listed there too where it's legal to sell oh, or they? what the rules are for each state so that you can find... What you need to do, whether it's yep. like Minnesota, you got to bring your own containers yep. and stuff like that. Yeah, there's, you know, and every state is different. different yep. Um, and so you just kind of, kind of, I, I don't know if raw milk is legal in every single state. The sale nope. of raw milk is... No, nope. New Jersey. No, New Jersey was the only one that was red where you could not buy any whatsoever. Because like I have... But you uh, can go over to New York. <laughs> which they're all really close together yep. out there. And in New York, you could buy it from the farm. Okay. Because I mean, there are some states where you can buy raw milk off the shelf too. Um, I have a friend out in Idaho. He yep. sells... He sells um, Right. I mean, he does. He runs a dairy route and drops off at the grocery stores yep. and he doesn't do any sales on his farm. He he doesn't deal with that. Oh. He does. It's all through the grocery stores. Yep. And, you know, sometimes it's it's word of mouth to find someone and people go under the radar. You know, they're not yep. exactly maybe following the rules. So you probably can if you're a little bit of a rebel. Yeah. You probably find somebody who's who's selling it if it's not totally legal in your state or there's not that we're advocating that no, you do that. But. No, we're not advocating it at all. But I will tell you that there, it it does happen. So if you oh, check yeah. you know, sometimes health food stores are really good places to find um information um where you might be able to locate raw milk because they're usually a, know the sources for that type yep. of thing if you're if you're truly looking wellness groups crunchy moms that a lot of is that a group uh, well crunchy moms is i was like is, is there there's got to be a crunchy ground moms <laughs> yeah there's yeah, got to be a crunchy mom know, group the, on the facebook wellness group i belong to is pretty much that way yep. i'm probably one of the oldest people in well, there no, i'm in that group too i just don't comment a whole lot <laughs> um but i found that group from you you know they're they're out there but your crunchy moms you those those moms who are looking for that wellness and all that kind of thing, those that, yeah. Granola moms. <laughs> if you uh, can't tell, we have our producer talking in our ears, <laughs> but his mic isn't on. <laughs> but yeah, you know, crunchy moms are a thing. And that, that's something that Organic Valley talked about quite often when we were producers for them. Oh. They talked about that was their target market was crunchy moms. Yeah, right. that was that was what they were. That was their target is trying to get those crunchy moms to buy organic milk no. because that's their demographic oh um, yeah that makes you know, sense that the, there was, was a very much a movement in the younger population there too and you um, do see that yeah yep. you know being you know looking back at life now at 58 it's like yeah okay you can see <laughs> i make generalization sometimes about age because of my kids ages and stuff like that it's like oh yeah they're below such an age they haven't probably experienced something or other but you know a lot of times you know you you find yourself pregnant and then all of a sudden you're like oh now i have to be healthy yeah you know <laughs> yeah before that it's like you could care I'll less eat as many pickles as i want yep. and taking as much salt or whatever and all of a sudden yeah. you're like oh goodness yeah now i need to i need to I pay think attention that probably was the first step of you know moving a little healthier is because mm -hmm. it's like you know i couldn't i all right strongly suggested at that time that i shouldn't drink alcohol and so I didn't. My whole mm -hmm. pregnancy is I never drank alcohol. You know, or but whatever. I don't know how much that ice cream every night that ice cream every night helped. <laughs> it probably helped put on the fifty pounds. <laughs> but you know, you're suddenly responsible for another life, yeah. And it, it does make a difference. And then once the kids start eating food, you want quality food for them. And then until they get older, and then it's like you just you didn't know any better. Processed food yep. was a thing. I mean, yep. even baby food is processed, right? maybe less processed than other stuff, but yet still processed. Even there's stuff labeled organic and it's still processed food. Off on a little, on rant, a little okay. tangent here. Now let me look at my notes and just make sure that I had hit everything. We talked about fermented dairy. Raw milk doesn't expire. We covered that. It, I mean, we covered where you, where you might find some sources to find raw milk. Um, yep. You can always contact either myself or Jamie. I'm more than happy to talk raw milk and cows and goats I can talk for a very, 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 very long time about <laughs> both or all three of those things. My email is actually uh, carol.radkey33 at gmail.com if you want to send me an email. You can contact me through Facebook too, either through Two Gals Homesteading or our dairy page, which is um, Prairie's Edge Organic Dairy. <laughs> That's our, our yeah. dairy page. Uh, our Facebook page is really good to, to go to there and ask a question because it pops up the notification and notifies one of us. <laughs> yep. And then we'll say, if it's like, you go answer that. Whoever's has the knowledge will go answer your question for you. Or we'll both pipe in and tell you. Yep. 
So we'd like to thank you for joining us today. And I hope you learned a little bit about raw milk and um, why we think it's important to our diet and the good health benefits of consuming it. We'd like to give a special thank you to PicoSupply.com for sponsoring our podcast. So until next time. Put some keeper on it. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Homestead Podcast's latest episode. Your hosts, Carol Radke and Jamie Kappis, are Two Gals Homesteading. To learn more, go to twogalshomesteading.com or the Two Gals Homesteading Facebook page at facebook.com slash twogalshomesteading. Editing, audio production, and marketing of the Homestead Podcast is the responsibility of Media Transex. The Homestead Podcast is an audio product of Media Transex, a limited liability company, based in Minnesota, USA.